0: Welcome to Humans of SaaS. I'm your host, Ben Nguyen. And on this show, I talk to entrepreneurs, innovators, and leaders from the tech industry who each have a unique and compelling story to share. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Humans of SaaS. I'm your host, Ben Nguyen. And today is a little different because I'm trying out video because as some of you might know, I sit on the marketing team here at Catalyst. And so I have to take every opportunity I can to engage people across multiple platforms. So if you're watching this on LinkedIn or on YouTube, great it worked engage with our page go get a demo request there's my plug for catalyst uh what i'm really excited to focus on with you today well few aspects of tech culture but i wanted to start with start out with super pumped which is the new show from showtime starring joseph gordon levitt and uma thurman and a bunch of other amazing actors uh, that's all about the growth of uber um, how it did really well how it was also sort of a shit show toxic work environment all sort of those tropes of what uh, the external world thinks uh, tech startups are like um, sort of all boiled into one. And the show is amazing, but also you will find yourself cringing throughout because it is very painful. I imagine some of it is extremely painful and and was really bad. And then some of it is sort of that effect of like, when I listen to my own podcasts, I tend to cringe just because it's hard to listen to the sound of your own voice. And so sometimes we see these things, you know, we see like tech life reflected in these series. And then, you know, it's cringy when you look at it, but then you realize, oh wait, but I do that. Hopefully that's not the case for any of the sexual harassment or crazy stuff that happened at Uber. But it's funny because there's been a series of these now with, you know, the whole WeWork documentary. We had the whole um, Elizabeth Holmes thing that came out and now the dropout. Um, There's now another thing about WeWork that I think stars Anne Hathaway that's on Hulu, I think, not quite sure. But I like that this is a trend of just like, okay, let's look at all the big startup failures and then like take them apart and then put in A-list actors to make these really captivating series about them. Um, At least, you know, hopefully it gets more people into tech because it's more mainstream. And hopefully, I mean, some of them at least show, you know, they sort of resolve in a good way. I'm hoping that the end of Super Pumped, they sort of transition into how Uber has since changed as an organization, um, or at least from the outside, how it appears to have changed. I'm sure they'll get to that part. I'm only on episode, I think, four. So they haven't gotten to the part where Travis Kalanick has been ousted. But the reason I wanted to start off with Super Pumped is I cannot think of a better example of why you know, this podcast exists and why the Catalyst culture is the way it is and and all of these things that we talk about than Uber, because it really was this whirling storm of crap. And yes, like it built this monumental company. And it's just this story of conflict because there was so much good that came out of it, of the company and also so much bad. And it's really interesting to dive in and see sort of what went wrong and what went right. So for those of you who don't know, Um, very quickly because I'm not about to give you a three hour podcast on the history of Uber. Travis Kalanick started the company. The show starts off with sort of some mixed things around how who had the idea and how that all evolved, but essentially started the company, grew the company and um, company pretty much the whole time was plagued by issues around sexual harassment, around, you know, overspending budget, around spying on users, spying on drivers. Um, It was a win at all costs sort of mentality. And actually, the very first, I think, line of the show is Travis interviewing someone and going, are you an asshole? Um, Apparently, he would ask that in every interview and you are supposed to say yes. So if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about their culture, they were intentionally hiring assholes or they were intentionally hiring people who were smart enough to know that it was a trick question and they do want to hire assholes. I think that's coming out of some previous companies that had the whole like no assholes policy. Uber wanted to be the, always liked being, you know, the one going against the grain that was very much part of their culture. And so they wanted to hire assholes was supposedly the party line. Surprise, surprise, you have all of these issues coming out of that. And so that's how the show starts. And, and, you know, again, Uber was and is an incredible company. In fact, they just, uh, I saw today, they announced that they're partnering now with cab companies in New York and San Francisco, So that's sort of a really big shift in terms of being combatants versus now being partners. And we're gonna see how that impacts prices and availability of cars and all that kind of stuff, which these days now you got gas prices mixed in there as well. So this is gonna be really interesting. Um, But that's why it was top of mind. The company has gone through sort of all of these different evolutions and it's scaled to be this incredibly global company that's shifted the way an entire industry works, basically created an industry where before there wasn't one. These are things that are amazing. And my brother and I had a conversation recently that I wanted to get you all thinking about, which is, you know, is it possible to start, build and grow a company like that to that size without having a horrible culture or having the CEO be a narcissist or egotistical maniac who will stop at nothing? Like, do you need that win at all costs mentality in order to succeed on the global stage? And it was an interesting conversation. My brother is also in tech. You know, we've had these sort of conversations a lot. And it's interesting because when you look at the track record, it sort of leans towards a trend. Like there is definitely a trend where founders who, you know, are the same founder from when they like conceptualize the idea, build it out and then grow and take over an industry in that way and become these, you know, incredibly notable, um, massive global companies and founders. Um, They tend to share those traits like they are a win at all costs, no mercy, they are not people first, they are maybe customer first as far as it serves their own best interests like a like a Bezos. But it's hard to find examples of companies that have scaled globally, disrupted industries and all of that where the leader is not um, someone who's like that he was sort of distributing vinyls like he had he was acquiring music like he started he started obviously with vinyl records but when he started that as a small thing he had reps that would go out and sell these vinyls to stores Um, so he would acquire them and then have his reps distribute them and one of his reps was selling vinyls sort of on the side so he was I think stealing them from Branson and then or from the company whatever and then selling them at a lower cost to the people who would buy them to the to the retailers and so one of the retailers went to Branson and was like, hey, your rep is offering me these at a lower rate. I don't think what he's doing is right. Um, You know, I thought you should know. And rather than Branson being like, you know, that asshole he's stealing. Okay, thank you for telling me. I'm going to fire him right away. Uh, Branson's response was, "Uh, no, I, I authorized him to do that. I told him he could give you that lower price. Retailer went back. He's like, oh, okay, just wanted to make sure. And Branson had a conversation with that employee, the employee fessed up to it immediately and they talked about the money issues that he was going through. And it was a whole other conversation, but he had the employees back and didn't want to throw them under the bus. And he was thinking about them and then ended up having this conversation where he understood the root cause of why they did that. And then they were able to tackle that together. It was a really amazing story because I don't know many people who would do that. And so for me, that demonstrates a leader who is like truly people first, has their teams back, you know, has that sort of culture. Has it scaled to, that was a long time ago, is he still like that, you know, billions of dollars later, private island later, who knows, I'm going to pretend in my mind like he is. Where I arrived at with my brother was that we couldn't call out, you know, really a founder who had scaled a global team. There aren't that many companies, right? When you think about Uber, right, there are maybe 10, 20 companies you can put in that category. And we couldn't think of any that really differentiated that much from the norm. But what my argument was, because I'm eternally the optimist, is that all those companies were started, you know, 10 plus years ago, give or take, but mostly like they are a previous generation of leaders because I look around now and I'm in the position where I've been fortunate enough to interview a ton of founders of like high growth SaaS companies that are absolutely killing it. You know, I see my own founders at Catalyst. I meet a lot of founders all the time and I'm so excited to see where they go because they all seem like they're part of this new mentality where people realized because of the Ubers and because of, you know, Facebook and because of all these companies, Amazon, because of them, they've realized that, oh, okay, you can scale a company that way. But if you want to stay on as the founder and you want to be really successful, generally, you can't be that person. You can't have these issues of sexual harassment, of theft, of spying, of like all these things. You need to have strong core values if you're gonna retain your team and grow your company and get great press and you know, this, that, and the other thing. My argument is that that is still previous generation of founders and that over the next 10 years, we're going to see a whole generation of new founders emerge where we will see tech leaders that do have a people first mentality and are not a win at all costs mentality because frankly, no one wants to work at a win at all costs company like unless you're the one people wised up right like unless you are the one or you're in the first like five employees who owns like a lion's share of equity and that is the only thing that matters and you will become a millionaire why would you want to work with a bunch of assholes at a company that is looked at horribly by the press and by the public and all that kind of stuff like you have no motivation to work there no one wants to work at a company of assholes because they like assholes They want to work there because they're like, oh, yeah, we fight no matter what, we're going to win. And like, okay, sure. But unless you own all the equity or a major share of the equity, then is winning that important for you? What should be more important is, you know, salary, benefits, culture. like Those are the things that will actually impact your day-to-day happiness and health and long-term success. So that's my prediction. I think that over the next 5, 10, 15 years, we're going to see a huge shift in terms of the kinds of leaders that we see, the kind of cultures that we see. We've already been seeing culture shift happening at a lot of organizations. Granted, there is still a lot of work to do, but I think because of all of the bad press and the repeated you know, issues that have come out from these problematic tech companies, even if it's in their own self-interest, they're acting much smarter when it comes to um, you know, company parties and... Um, you know, HR policies and diversity and things that they know are important if they want to not become, if they don't want to have a Hulu documentary made about them. That's, at the end of the day, like that's our goal, right? I remember in a previous episode, I talked about um, Vishal Garg, the CEO of better.com and how he mishandled this whole thing of, you know, firing 4,000 people and then he had all these news articles written about them. And it's like, even if your motivation is, I don't want to be that CEO that, you know, TechCrunch writes a, a scathing article about and that's what makes you act in the right way? Sure. You're like, that's completely fine. Even if the threat of being caught is what keeps you from acting in a negative way, that works just as long as those results come through, that's the most important thing for you and your employees. So it's it's a question of being intelligent about what's best for your company. And I think that's something that Travis Kalanick, who's the Uber CEO, couldn't see at the time. But if he was in the viewer seat instead of the actor or whatever you call it, instead of the, the subject, he would have been able to see a lot of these times where he had the opportunity to make small changes where he could still be like the winner take all like aggressive founder guy, but still he could like, have managed that better so that Uber, you know, he would have stayed in charge of Uber and they wouldn't have had all the cultural issues that they did, easy things that wouldn't have impacted their growth. The problem is like when you, for example, how they had all these sexual harassment issues by allowing you know, you have a top performer who you want to keep despite them being someone who repeatedly is sexually harassing people on the team. So you justify it by saying, no, we're win at all costs, asshole culture. So we're going to keep this, this top performer, despite the shit that they're doing, the problem is they had, I think something like 92 or 95 out of a hundred women leave the company. How many of them were top performers? Probably a lot. How, probably a ton had massive potential. Like if you take any sample size of 95, and bear in mind, this is like 10 years ago. So being a woman in tech was that much more difficult to get in and to be you know, accepted and valued as an equal member of the team. Like that was that much harder 10 years ago. So they were probably, way, if you looked at a percentage comparison, there were probably a lot more top performers in that group than in the male group. But by keeping the asshole or assholes instead of reprimanding them or firing them, you lose all these other top performers. So there were opportunities to think longer term that just weren't taken. And I think I'm sure he has a lot to reflect on. Doesn't seem like he's that sad. He took his three billion dollars, traveled the world, bought some houses. You know he's, he's not suffering in that sort of Adam Newman, uh, who's the WeWork founder realm where they got their ridiculously massive payout and have seemingly suffered no consequences. But as someone who believes in karma, I, you know I'm sure that they went through their fair share. Um, especially just with a bad press in general. I mean, with someone with a massive ego, that's sort of the worst thing they can get is to be poorly thought of by other people. Today's show is brought to you by Catalyst Software, the fastest growing customer success platform on the market. Catalyst gives you unmatched customizability, a seamless bi-directional Salesforce integration that takes less than five minutes to set up, and a world-class customer success team that'll be by your side every step of the way. Let's be honest, whatever you're currently using might be good enough, but is good enough really what you're aiming for? Take your CS team to the next level by switching to Catalysts today. To learn more, visit Catalyst.io. And if you aren't looking for a CS platform right now, you should subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn anyways. I make daily memes. We host all sorts of events and we love to give away our swag, which has been called the comfiest swag in the industry. Again, check out Catalyst.io to learn more. So that's everything i wanted to share about super pumped definitely recommend the show uh, it's a great lesson what not to do if you're a founder and if you are working at a company and you're seeing some parallels then maybe it's time to to start moving your search somewhere else uh, lots of companies hiring right now um, the other thing that's sort of related i wanted to talk about is this idea of cultural dilution um, which again talking to a lot of people that work for big companies is something that i i see a lot of and i i think back to and so what I mean by cultural dilution is, you know, you start out with this amazing culture. Your teammates love each other, everyone's talking all the time, we're hanging out, love what we're doing, everyone gets along. It's amazing. You're at 30 people. Then you get to like 100 people and you start seeing some cracks. And then by the time you get to 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 employees, it is impossible to have a company culture that is truly shared you know, or at least that culture gets more and more abstracted. Uh, maybe you all share the value of like generosity, but that can mean different things to different people or respectful. Right. You can have an argument like I, I was in an HR training, not a personal one. I did nothing wrong. This was a company wide HR training. We have them twice a year. And the coach was talking about an issue of respect, right, where there was an issue at a company that she'd been uh, engaged by where, you know, one employee um, who had religious beliefs and there was another employee who I believe was LGBTQ something that conflicted with the person's religious beliefs. And so, okay, sure, the company has this mutual value of respect, but what happens when the religious person feels that by the LGBTQ person being out and talking about these issues and and talking about their experience or or what what have you, it is disrespectful, quote-unquote, to the person's religious beliefs. And then vice versa, how do you manage the LGBTQ person who feels that they're being disrespected by being... Uh, told by the religious person that they're disrespecting them by being who they are. And there's a whole sort of thing there where you can see the two different angles, no matter how you align, like everything's always open for interpretation. And that's where things tend to get spotty. And why I say it's pretty much impossible to maintain a, a real culture when you get to a certain size, because everything just gets gets too messy. Um, you start forming these sort of microcultures on teams. And so that's something I've been thinking a lot about as Catalyst grows, because we've been growing like crazy Uh, lots of open roles if you're in product marketing please hit me up Um, lots of open roles but we've been growing a ton and i love our culture i joined as i think the 30th employee something like that and i loved it then i love it now but what i have seen is that as we've grown we've had less of a team-wide culture Um, We do have one. And I think, you know, for 100 people, it's still very strong. And I hope it stays strong for a long time, but it's less than it was at 30. And I don't think anyone would dispute that. What I've seen grow and actually get stronger in that time is our marketing team culture. And I'm using that as an example because I'm on the marketing team, so I can't speak to other teams. But I think that this is what we all should be aiming for instead of saying, okay. 100, 500, 1000 people, you know, we need to maintain and grow our our team culture. It's more about how can you form microcultures on each team? And then how can you ensure that teams are communicating well? And you have sort of these overarching strategies that will still maintain some semblance of company culture at scale, um, but without driving your HR team nuts, because you have this like very specific value that all 5000 of your employees need to be embodying every day, you know, for people who work at Salesforce, like that is a global company. And I guarantee there's a lot of people at that company that disagree on a great many things. Multiple people have sent me screenshots (laughs) just with, uh, you know, proving that point. And I think that's fine. And that's to be expected. That's it's a global company. So the important thing is that, you know, the people that you're working with every day, that you have a shared culture with them, that you have shared core values and that they are people that you respect and respect you in a way where you both agree what respect means, um, given the example that I just gave. I think, you know, while companies should be worried about, you know, building culture and should always be thinking about it, I think one thing that companies need to spend more time on is how can you build sort of microcultures as you grow and how can you empower those to grow and develop? So instead of spending a ton of resources trying to try and get your whole company to be the same or have culture out or whatever you want to say as you grow, um, how can you empower managers and teams and departments to sort of develop their own microcultures? Um, Because I think that that's one of the keys to scaling successfully and maintaining a really positive culture. Because I frankly don't care what the team, three teams away that I've never talked to, you know, what their culture is. As long as they give me what I need when I ask and vice versa, that's okay. Like that's completely fine and that's going to happen. And I think that's the way to do it at scale. That's again, a little different than what we thought before where Uber, no matter how big they grew, they, you know, they tried to keep this asshole competitive culture. And I know a few large companies that still try to have this universal culture. And I'm like, you don't have 10,000 of the same people. Like, don't try to sell me that and tell me that you all share these common values. It's just not, it's not true. Um, Even if you think it's true, it's, you know, when you get down to it, everything's open to interpretation. And so, you know, that's a real challenge. And I think that takes a lot of stress off of hiring because a lot of people try to hire and, and make sure that every hire is this like exact culture fit or culture ad. And I recently went through this myself, but I think about uh, Daniel Chait, who's the CEO and founder of Greenhouse, which is an amazing hiring platform uh, to check out. But when he was on the podcast uh, last year, um, he told me his biggest mistake that he ever made, founding Greenhouse, was um, hiring someone because there was an incredible amount of pressure to get someone in the role, and he knew the person wasn't perfect but he was like, they could just fit. And, and so it was sort of like a good enough. And I have all this intense pressure. So we hired them and that ended up being a huge mistake because that affected culture, productivity. They then had to let that person go and then back. like, there's a whole downstream effect of that. And so recently I was hiring for a role. We had a lot of pressure to, to fill a role and, um, came very close to hiring a couple people that wouldn't quite have been that person, but it's like agreeing to marry someone, right? It's like, you know, hiring is like entering a rela- in a relationship, really, because you're going to see that person or talk to them pretty much every day, and how they are and how you interact and all that is going to affect you every day. It's going to affect work. It's going to affect life. Everything is downstream of that. It's going to affect the future people you hire. I know we all know the trope: hire slow, fire fast. I'm but reiterating on that, like, it's not about hiring slow. If I'd found the person that I ended up finding in the first week, I would have hired them right away. Um, But it takes time sometimes. Sometimes you get lucky and they come waltzing in the door or through a referral, and that is amazing when that happens. But just because of that pressure, you know, if you're getting it from someone, they're pressuring you to hire someone, don't just hire someone, push back and say, You know, I haven't been able to find the right person for this role, and I don't want to sacrifice the quality of our team, of our product, of our productivity, of our company, our culture. So here's what I need in order to find the right person. Right. And that's the biggest thing that I think I've learned in the last couple of years in terms of like managing up. You know, everyone wants you to be successful. And where I think people who are being managed have the biggest opportunity that we are too maybe afraid or nervous or what have you to leverage is managers love being told in general, if they're a good manager, good managers love being told exactly what you need in order to be successful. So if you go to your manager and you say, hey, I know I have these goals. Here's exactly what I need in order to accomplish them. Generally, they will say yes, or they will do talk with you and figure out if there's another way if it's not possible for them to say yes, you ask for a million dollar budget, and they only have 100k, you know, you got to work something out. But within reason, that's one of the biggest things. And so whether you're getting pressure to you know sacrifice the quality of something you're doing to pick up the volume or to hire someone that isn't quite a right fit but you need someone in the role now because there's pressure on your boss and the pressure on them is coming from the board like all of that make sure to to manage up when that happens give them that feedback on you know i want to make sure and i know you want to make sure that this candidate is x y and z in order to do that here is what i need i need you know Your help to reach out to people or to close candidates or i need to move this from a to a senior role or i need to you know i need the company's help i need to do an announcement at our next company all hands to to do a push for referrals like there's a lot of levers you can pull for hiring but it's one of those areas that it's like it's not like a vendor you can cancel the contract it's you're affecting someone's life right so you're hiring them and then training them and then if you have to let them go and then you have to backfill them and you're back at square one and it's like a disaster so Be very careful when you're hiring. It's definitely something I got super pumped and something I think about a lot just as I interact with other growing and scaling tech companies. So that's one of the main core concepts actually I wanted to talk about today, which is managing up. For those of you who don't know, it's essentially managing your manager. It's pretty straightforward, but it's something that I actually hadn't really heard of um, until a couple years ago. It's something I did maybe instinctively a little bit here and there, but it's something I've gotten way more intentional intentional about, especially in the last couple years. And I think a big part of that transition was myself becoming a a people manager. Before last year, I hadn't been a, a people manager, and so I was used to being an IC or an expert IC and then talking with my manager and working with them, but it was a little bit different. And then when I became a people manager, I very quickly realized that the most valuable thing that my team could give me is like very direct feedback and telling me exactly what they need in order to do their job and do it well. Um, that I loved because that's my job. Like my job is to make my team successful. And so I need to know what's going to make them successful. I can make my best guess, but. I can't tell them for that. Like The whole reason that they're in their job is because they know how to do it and do it well. So if I ask a team member to do something and I haven't given them the resources they need because I haven't anticipated or there's something something else going on, then I need to know. And so that was really the, the most valuable thing that um, I was able to start getting from my team and coaching them on giving me feedback and, and managing me, um, which is something I'm now doing going forward for all team members is sort of giving them very specific ways that they can manage me as their manager, which is counterintuitive, but it's also something I've done with my manager, he's doing with his manager. And I think that's that's an incredibly important thing that we're under leveraging um, in companies. And as we get flatter, uh, and you know, many companies have gotten quite flat in terms of their org structure, at least in terms of communication, you still have to have obviously an official org structure, but in terms of communication, tech companies are quite flat in general. And as that's happened, communication starts to break down a little bit. And one of the the biggest advantages that I don't think people are taking advantage of is managing up. A lot of times from our our managers or from our senior leadership, we'll get a directive, right? Okay, we need you to hit this revenue goal. We need you to generate this many marketing qualified leads, make this many upsells, get this net revenue retention. And we're like, yeah, okay, that sounds good, (laughs) right? And we rush back and we stress about it and we try to do it and we're, you know, we do everything we can. And sometimes we hit the goal and sometimes we don't. But what happens is if they give you a goal and for some reason that goal is unattainable at most companies where you don't have that that good sort of flat communication, people end up just getting frustrated and either they'll end up missing their goal or they'll leave and go to another company because they keep giving, getting goals that they can't hit, or they'll just be insanely stressed about it maybe they'll get it done and maybe they won't. And so when you introduce this concept of managing up, it gives the opportunity for, okay, manager gives you a goal and then you can give feedback on that goal is it doable okay in order to achieve that goal here's what needs to be true right so when i was a csm that might have been like okay you want me to upsell this customer and expand to whatever new department great i can do it we have a great relationship they've achieved a lot of value the problem is for this department they need this integration so until that integration is built i cannot do that upsell how can i work with you how can i help product how can i help make this a priority and then your manager can take that back and be like, oh, okay, the goal, because they have goals that they were given. And then they can take that back and say, hey, my team is saying we can hit this goal. But if we want to hit this goal, we need this integration. Here's the revenue it impacts, blah, blah, blah. That's a whole other conversation. And you can replace integration and all that with a million other things. At the end of the day, it's about everyone needs certain things in order to get their job done, in order to hit certain goals. If you are, whether you're an IC or a manager, we all have goals. And so you have to be responsible for what you need in order to do them. Managers will never judge you, at least good managers, I keep saying managers, but I mean good managers will never judge you for coming to them and saying, hey, in order to hit this goal, here's what I need, or here's what would need to be true. And if they disagree with you, then that's a healthy discussion. But good managers will judge you if you have those thoughts, but then you just miss your target and you never communicate that to them or to anyone else where action can be taken because that manager is now being affected because their team is missing their goals. And so that reflects poorly on them. And then their managers going, why didn't you know that this was an issue and blah, blah, blah. And then they look silly because they didn't know what their team was thinking. And it's a whole chain reaction up until you know the board. So if you're an IC or if you're a manager, essentially, if you're anyone who has a manager, which is pretty much everyone, you know, think about managing up. Think about how you can work that into your, Um, daily life, your work life, like when you set goals, your next meeting, your next one-on-one with your manager. My favorite one-on-ones that I've had with my team members are are when they come and they're like, okay, here's where each of these projects is. Here is exactly what I need from you. That sounds like what a manager would say to the person they're managing, but that was coming from someone I managed coming to me. And that was amazing because then I can just give them what they need and reciprocate, right? Okay, that's all perfect. Here's what I can get done. Here's what I need from you in order for us as a team to accomplish X, Y, and Z. So it's my goal, my job as the manager to accomplish the team goals, but it's each member of the team's job to make sure that they have what they need in order to do what they need. So that's something I think a lot of the best companies have in common is this sort of flat org structure, bi-directional communication, um, and people are good at managing up as as well as down right like obviously as a manager there's a lot that you need to be good at to be a good manager and manage a team um but i think one of the most ignored skills or one of the most underdeveloped or under talked about skills is this idea of managing up and it's funny because going back tying this back into the beginning because everything has to come full circle when i watch super pumped there are so many things that i'm like if i saw my manager do any of these like i would be on them i would be pulling them aside i would be scheduling time with i would be talking to them like the fact that no one, that everyone saw all these issues going on, and you see this in the office, right? Like in the office in Super Pumped, like everyone sees this stuff happening and then they're just down at their laptop. Like, I'm not, I'm not seeing anything, it's whatever. But like, that's probably the most infuriating thing for me because I'm like, if I saw the Catalyst founders acting, you know, any way like Travis Kalanick was, or at least how, to be fair, I didn't work there. So if they were acting any way like Joseph Gordon-Levitt is portraying Travis Kalanick to have acted, I would be pulling them aside right away. And I think that that's what any leader would say that they want of their organization, right? I want to be told if by my team, if I'm saying, or doing something that's stupid or offensive or is leading us down the wrong path, um, in their opinion, and we can have a discussion about it. Everyone wants that for the most part. There are so many things that, you know, I watch these, these documentaries, whether it's the E-work, the WeWork one, the Theranos one, the Uber one, where I just want to yell at my screen because it's so close to home and, What you can do is implement those things now so that the company you're at doesn't become one of those. You can be vocal in a very respectful way about certain things that you're seeing and if you're seeing something that's wrong or that's mishandled, there are so many ways to to make a positive impact and don't let your company devolve into one of those. That's a recipe for disaster. So maybe I'll close with this because this was um, a funny story. I think it's funny at an older company I used to work at. Um, I noticed there were some culture issues going on, right? I noticed that a lot of people were unhappy, disengaged. And so I took it to the COO and he was basically like, I, I don't agree. And so I was like, okay, you want to talk to people? You want to, and meh, like, I got all these male responses and I was like, people are going to leave. I'm like, I like this. I like the company. I like the people. Like, I don't want people to leave. Everyone's complaining about these things. So I took it upon myself to create a culture survey that I sent to everybody at the company, except for the co-founders. You can probably guess where this is going. So I did that survey. I took the results back to the COO. I said, look, aren't I a great employee? I didn't say that, but I was like, look, here are the results. I ran this survey. You know, 80% of our employees are are thinking of leaving. Um, And bear in mind, I was an IC at the time, like low bottom rung. You know, the thing of leaving, people are not happy. Here are some things that I think we could do that would really boost morale and all these things. And in my head, I'm thinking like, oh, wow, I'm such a great employee. I took all this initiative. It shows I really care. Yeah, he was not happy. (laughs) After the co-founders spoke, the feedback he gave me was, I'm glad you did it, but I would have liked to have been asked. And I could tell that I had very much upset him because I'd gone behind his back Fast forward, I was interviewing for a job, a different job a couple of years ago. And I told this story because again, I'm still of the mindset that this shows that I'm like, I take initiative and I care and all this stuff. And if I was the hiring manager, that's the exact kind of story that, I, that would make me want to hire someone. And I actually, I made it to the last round of the interview. I went through all these rounds of interviews and the last one, which was the culture fit, I didn't get the job. And the reason was because they felt that I was, I think mutinous was probably the word that they used. I was like, oh, okay. I guess I'm not a culture fit there. But I mean, that is just something that, again, is a hill I will die on. Like if 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 I see something like I will take action on it. And if that's not the culture that you want at your company, then don't hire me. Don't hire people like me, like hire people that are just going to keep their heads down and, and do what they're told. But I think most companies nowadays are very cognizant of the fact that, you know, there's a lot of risk company culture and being exposed socially, like uh, on social media, in the news, like they don't want that to happen. And so companies more and more are valuing people who are very honest um, and speak their mind respectfully about, you know, the state of the company and their opinions on things and issues with management, issues with culture. You know, you need that. And again, it goes two ways. So if you're someone who voices your opinion on something, if you're heard and acknowledged and you're given a respectful answer and there's a reason why A choice was made or they can't do what you're asking them to do you have to accept that as well this this is a two-way street I'm not saying that everyone should go make demands of their leadership and say if you don't do this I'm gonna leave but there's a middle of the road and at the end of the day it's about just being respectful and realizing you're all on the same team working towards a common goal and that you are helping in the best way that you know how right which in some cases might just be being really honest about what you're hearing in the rumor mill or what you're seeing in the product or what you're seeing in the industry and sort of seeing what what leadership's responses are to that. Um, So something to think about just going forward. If you enjoyed today's episode, please uh, subscribe, share the podcast. And if you are in the market or thinking about a customer success platform, go to catalyst.io and check it out. At the end of the day, I need to be generating demo requests in order to justify all the ridiculous things I do, like this podcast, like csmemes.io, like uh, the Unicornian, like all of our other weird marketing things at Catalyst. So thank you so much for listening. Like, subscribe, share with a friend and check out catalyst.io. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please rate us five stars and leave a review. Make sure to subscribe. And if you want to reach out to us, our email is community at getcatalyst.io.